Hello, this is Jeff Vanderstelt, Executive Director of Saturate and the host of the Saturate podcast. Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation, to the end that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission everywhere, every day. Now, we believe this is going to require, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church is unified in a region collaborating around five key initiatives that we see even the Apostle Paul spell out in Acts uh, 13 and 14 as Luke gives his account of Paul's ministry. And those five initiatives are citywide prayer, leader help, disciple-making strategies, serving the city, and then starting new churches and new initiatives for the kingdom. Presently, we've been spending time on the initiative of leader help, And more specifically, we're going to interact with Nathan Wagnon, CEO of the Eden Project. So Nathan, man, I'm so glad you're here. Um, uh, You and I have connections through mutual friends now that you get to work with every day, which I'm a little jealous about because I wish I was getting to work with Duke Brevard and Chuck Lachin all the time. They're amazing men, just dear friends of mine. But tell us a little bit more about yourself and and then even how the Eden Project, which is really a brand new startup, how, how it got started. Like, What's the origin story and why this particular ministry and why now? Yeah, for sure. Well, first, thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's a privilege to, to be on here with you and to interact with your audience. I'm really grateful. And yeah, it, it is a lot of fun working with Duke and Chuck. I mean... I got advice from a buddy of mine a while ago who's like, hey, the key to success as a leader is to surround yourself with people who are better than you are. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've definitely done that. So um, really grateful for those guys. Yeah, Eden Project, it is brand new. I mean, we're, we're five months old. And in a lot of ways, we're building out content right now that we're working on in the near future delivering to the world but we're centered around retraining people to connect deeply with god and others so uh, some of the taglines that we've had is to we want to help people experience and then learn to live at home in the love of god Hmm. so you asked a little bit about who i am i i grew up you know here in the south i grew up in a conservative christian tradition that i really credit for two different things. One is my theological foundation, which I'm super grateful for. Yeah. It was just, there are much worse environments that you, that you could be in Yeah, uh, as a child in, in my formative years. And then the second thing that I credit it with is just moralism. The idea that you present a certain way, just don't do anything too bad and you'll be good. Nobody ever said this explicitly. It wasn't like people walked around and said that, but functionally that was really the the mode of operation. And that that started to form me especially as an athlete, right? So you're in that environment, but then you're also participating in activities where if you do good things, they're publicly rewarded, they're publicly celebrated. If you do bad things, then you're shunned, you're shamed, you're put in, yeah, literally put on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But, very physical. You're not even on the team, you know? <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so, uh, so I was deeply formed in that and, mm. uh, and I didn't, I would not have even been able to tell you that in the, at, at that time. 
And yet, as I grew, uh, the Lord really took me through a couple of different seasons. One was when he just began to expose that my exterior life was far outpacing my interior life. And I was really active in ministry and I was growing in, in kind of explicit, uh, linear, logical knowledge of God, but I still had a very underdeveloped view of, of who God actually is. And those things started to get exposed when I was at Dallas Seminary and you know, I was dealing with some sin patterns in my life. And then I was also just burning myself out because I had a, you know, I literally would think things like, man, God's called me to this. Like, if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. Like a, just a sense of almost, a, I mean, it is a savior complex. Hmm. And yet, uh, yeah, my interior life was just unraveling. And uh, back in 2005, I got depressed this is when I was, I was running really closely with Duke. I got depressed. I was in seminary. I was barely finishing my assignments. I was, it was just a train wreck, man. And uh, I call it the Lord's boot on my throat <laughs> season where he's like, Hey, in order to like really get, get into your space, I'm going to have to like pin you down. Mm. And, uh, it was grace. It was the grace of God because what it did was it exposed, you know, I felt exposed. I felt vulnerable. I felt, you know, all, all of my coping mechanisms weren't working anymore. And, hmm. and the Lord in that moment where I had a really deeply formed fear that if I couldn't perform or if I couldn't achieve, then God would not accept me. Hmm. And, uh, and I couldn't perform and I couldn't achieve. And so I was like, I was just scared. And that's when the Lord in his grace, he just met me there, man. And what I experienced, instead of being shunned and rejected and whatever else, um, I just, I really began to experience on a really deep level, the love of God. Hmm. It blew me away. I mean, it was that thing that I knew, like I knew about it. I could, I, I could teach about it, you know, Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but I just had never experienced it on that level. And And that's where I was like, okay, like something's different here. And, uh, and then I'll tell you about one more experience and, and, uh, pass it back over to you. So I, I, I joined the military after that, which is completely crazy. Got married and, uh, and then coming out of that, I was in my doctoral cohort in uh, 2014 and (laughs) this, this woman walks in, who's like five foot, nothing, you know, like you're just like very, uh, nothing about her that, that makes you think. I'm really going to learn a lot from you, you know? And I literally, in my heart, I was like, okay, Lord, what is, what is she going to teach me? You know? And within 30 minutes, dude, (laughs) within 30 minutes, my soul is like filleted out on the table. I mean, I'm this heaping mess. And, uh, they gave us an hour or so to go, Hey, go, go on a prayer walk, go talk to Jesus about what just happened kind of thing. And, and I was completely disoriented. I was like, what just happened? And what, what I later came to know is she took us through an exercise that exposed what is uh, what people call someone's internal working model or a God image. In other words, how do you emotionally relate to God? How do you mm-hmm. represent him and then relate to him through that representation? 
And, uh, and I just saw another deep layer that needed attention. And mm. because of that, I was also on staff at Watermark Community Church here in Dallas. And while I was on staff, I began to work on this issue of uh, God image and began to see how central it was to real substantive formation especially, I mean, with, with anybody, but especially I was seeing it among our staff Hmm. and I was like, man, you know, uh, I, I get it because I've lived it, but then also just seeing how, um, how many competing motivations existed among leaders and how oftentimes the leaders are just not even aware of those things. They're just driving on, like, just gotta go. Hmm. Uh, and that's where I just became really passionate about, Hey, this is so central to Mm. our, our, everybody's health, um, all of humanity that, uh, I, I did my doctoral dissertation on it. And then out of that, it's a much longer story, but out of that, um, we started Eden project and that's our mission, man, is to help people raise some of those subconscious things up to the level of awareness, help help them to, to be relationally present with, with themselves and then ultimately with God, which spills out over to others. Hmm. That's, that's a little bit about me and how we ended up here at Eden Project. Man, thanks so much for sharing that story. You know, it's interesting how many people I have gotten to spend time with who will, who will point to a moment where, where in a sense they either hit the wall or God pinned them down in your language, you know, that Jacob moment where, Oh, now we forever walk with a limp, you know, and I have, I've found myself. Almost like the gospel is like God's power is made perfect in weakness. Weakness. <laughs> Amen. But nobody I mean, wants to hear know, that. Said that somewhere one time. I don't yeah, know. I think that's really clear in the scriptures. Yeah, really. yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's weird. How many people want to raise their hand and go, I want to be weak. You know, like nobody wants to be weak, but it, it is the means. It totally is. It's, it is the way there, you know, it's the entry to the kingdom. So, uh, well, I appreciate you just, first of all, sharing um, some of your story. And I, I know, like, even you mentioned your your dissertation, your D-Men work on discipleship um, and, and this particular concept, even just the work you've done around it. I am curious, as you, as you think about uh, discipleship, you think about leader health, you think about even what you just shared about our image of God and uh, how that affects our relationships. Um, as you think about the condi- condition of the church in North America, yeah. and what, what, what are your hopes for her? What are your concerns? How do you see her uh, today and, and even hopefully in the future? Yeah, the first thing that immediately comes to mind is she's deeply loved by God. Mm. I mean, it's his bride, man. That's right. Like yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, right. like, but, but in a lot of ways, what I would say is, is that I, I don't think the church collective necessarily sees itself like that, mm. which is a major problem. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, you mm. know, I, I immediately think of Hosea, right. The Lord's like, Hey, go marry this prostitute named Gomer. You know, number one, why in the world are you marrying somebody named Gomer? But then two, um, you know, Gomer in a lot of ways was like she, while, while Hosea pursued her and she was his beloved, she didn't see herself as that. Hmm. And so she constantly went back to, you know, her, her other ways. And, 
And so, man, I think, you know, the, the church, a lot of times, you know, will, will rightly so in, in fair ways, if it is fair, um, sometimes people just like to bash on it. But, uh, but my first thought is like, yeah, we, we need to be introspective and to identify issues, but over and against all of that stuff, I'm like, man, Jesus loves his bride. Yeah. I mean, and yes. so whatever we're doing with the church, we need to handle the church, you know, like Jesus would, um, mm. carefully, gently, lovingly. Mm. And so that's my first thought. Um, secondly, I think that I, I personally am seeing a, a real, uh, both an exposure of, um, some dysfunction, uh, which is, uh, which is always a good thing, right? I mean, you you never want the dis- you never want dysfunction not to be exposed. I mean, because then it festers and grows. So, like an exposure of dysfunction um, through some very visible, you know, uh, leader failures. Uh, but then also, I think through I think the 2016 election exposed a lot of stuff about the church. Sure did, yep. and and just the way that the uh, church is engaging in culture wars. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that culture wars are not to be engaged with. I'm just saying the way we're doing it is. I'm just I kind of like scratch my head. I'm like, really, is this is this the best way? Um, mm-hmm. So, I I I see some areas where I'm like, hey, I, I think the church can deepen and grow, but I also am seeing a, a movement of the Holy Spirit, both to expose some of those things, but also to, to begin to reinforce them and heal them. And I'm hugely encouraged, man. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, dude, like in 20 years, we could be having a very different conversation about, about the health of the church, the advancement of the gospel, the, the, the exaltation of, uh, of Christ and, and the, the love that he has for the world, a renewed vision of, um, of what it means to be human in the world. And so in a lot of ways, I'm like, man, I'm, you know, I'm really, as I'll say it this way, sometimes people in disorientation, which is what you were describing before when I, when I told my story, it's like, yeah, people get, you know, they hit a wall or something like that. It's, it's kind of Brueggemann's uh, categories of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. It feels like we're kind of in a disorientation season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and most people are like, oh, I'm so, I don't know what to do. The world feels like it's falling apart and all this stuff. And I'm like, ah, it's kind of always felt like that. And that's, yes, uh, it has. And then always look for the opportunity. There's always an opportunity in disorientation to grow. And if there's anything that I would lament and deeply lament, because I think, I mean, I think Jesus laments it, is that there are those within the church and and even within your and I's specific tradition within the church who experience disorientation. And instead of seeing the opportunity to really deepen and grow, they circle back and double down on things that got them into the disorientation to begin with. Hmm. And and that's what I lament. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, man, I you know, I love those brothers and sisters and I pray for them. And I'm just like, man, let's not miss it. You know, let's not miss the opportunity that we have in a, in a really unique moment like this. Mm. Amen. 
how, how do you how would you if you were going to encourage or exhort us not to miss the moment what would you say like what is key to that humility okay I mean, it's a, it's a look. I was I was emailing with a buddy of mine. Of, I was probably a year or two ago, who's really well known um, scholar, and I, uh, I basically was asking him some clarity around a deal that he said. And he he emailed me back. Was like, "Hey, man, like at any given point, you have to recognize that at least twenty percent of of the way you see the world and the way you see God and your theology is wrong." Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's probably more than that. It's probably like 40%, you know? Yeah. And, and he was like, and I would change it, but I don't know which 20% it is, you know? That's right. Like, I just don't know. We're, we're, we're really limited creatures. And I love what Eugene Peterson said, um, in his little essay, um, back to square one in his book called subversive spirituality, which if you don't own that, you're welcome. Go buy it and read it. Oh my gosh. Hmm. So back to square one and subversive spirituality. And at the, at the end of it, he talks about, he's like, we have got to go back to a position of not knowing and not doing. Hmm. And you read that, especially as a pastor or a visionary leader or whatever. And you're like, what? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, no, when left to ourselves, if we're, if we're not in a posture like that before God, then what we end up doing is we end up taking whatever knowledge we have and we turn it into some kind of spiritual tool to use to kind of like get on in the world. Uh, mm. Christianity begins to become measured in pragmatic terms of how efficient are we doing things and what about numbers and stuff like that. And it's like, man, like you're missing it. Instead, I think we, we have to come with a posture of when something is disorienting me, like Dallas Willard said, reality is what you slam into when you're wrong, right? <laughs> so you're going along, doo, 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 I'm doing my thing, I'm awesome, woo! And then you slam into a wall, right? Instead of going, oh no, it's horrible, I've got to go back and learn something else. No, 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 you, you've just been blessed by the actual consequence of reality and showing you, no, 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 you're just going the wrong way. It's okay that you were headed yeah. the wrong way. Just yep. don't stay there. <laughs> like, yes, like don't go right. back and hit the wall again. <laughs> so, you right. know, like, And that's where the key in those moments is to sit. You got to sit and be still and listen mm -hmm. and surround yourself with sages who have been there before, who can help you because the opportunity you have in that moment is to be reoriented to God actual, not the way that you see God, but God actual in much deeper ways. And that's the whole point, man. I mean, if that's not the point, then what the heck are we doing? You know? Amen. Anyway. Well, and that's the key. When you started with humility, humility is the acknowledgement that not only am I limited and not only do I not know everything, but there are actually others who have what I don't have. Yes, absolutely. And therefore, it's the beginning of relationship, right? Humility. Without it, we don't have relationship. That's right. Which is why 
the idea of God being opposed to the problem, giving grace to the humble. Mm. Uh, you read that very differently when you realize what he's really saying is, I actually want to give you myself, and I want That's to right. give you all my resources, but you've got to actually know that you need me. Mm. And uh, so that's that humility, which comes back to even your what you said at the beginning, which I just want the church to know they're loved. Mm. And um, I mean, when you think about the love of God and the, the very reality that God is love, yeah, like you want to expand any more on that in terms of like how oh, important yeah, that is. Gosh, so <clears throat> it's interesting because, and this is where some I'll nerd out a little bit. So. There are only a handful of places in the scriptures where this grammatical structure that's talking about God show up. I think there's only three of them. But basically what the grammatical structure is, is you have a noun that is definite. So the God or God, which is pointing to, hey, this is the subject. And then the next word in Greek is what they call an anarthrous preverbal predicate nominative. <laughs> it's like put that in your pipe and smoke it. But basically what that means is is that the predicate nominative which describes the noun comes before the verb and it does not have the article on it. So in this case it's the god or god love which is agape, that's the anarthrous preverbal predicate nominative, and then it's followed by the verb. And that grammatical structure, when the predicate nominative is abstract, in other words, it's not a metaphor or a simile or something like that, like God is a consuming fire or God is like this. Instead, the anarthrous nature of the predicate nominative, especially when the predicate nominative is abstract, like love, then it's emphasizing the essence of the subject as opposed to like a definite, which would be like God is the love or God is a love. No, no, no. In this case, the power of the grammatical structure in First John is that the essence of God is love. So like we can say God is a consuming fire and you're like, okay, cool, but... It's a metaphor that's describing an attribute of God, whereas in this grammatical structure, if the thing is abstract, it's talking ontology. It's talking like, no, this is actually essential to who God is. And there's three of those, holiness, justice, and love. The really interesting thing is, if you have holiness without love, right, the, the thing that is set apart, which is what holiness is, is evil, mm. right? It's like, well, that's not good, right? Mm. Yeah, it's set apart. It's it's species unique, but it's not good, right? Mm -hmm. You can have you can attempt to have justice, but if justice is not grounded in love, then then what you have is oppression, mm. right? You have someone executing something without love. Mm. And that's why I'm convinced Paul and Jesus and everybody else <laughs> is going is going no 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 at the very heart of reality, at the very heart of, not, not to mention biblical theology, but at the heart of reality is a God who is love. Like he can't not be love. He, he can't not be love any more than water can't be wet. Like wetness is, in, is ontological to what water is. Like it's wet. <laughs> God is love. Yes. And, and so that's why Paul is saying, I could speak with the tongue of men and angels. But if I don't have love, I have nothing. I could have all knowledge. I mean, what is that? That's omniscience, right? Right. But you don't have love. 
You have nothing. Yeah. I could, I could have the faith that could move that mountain. That's omnipotence, right? Like power, power, raw power. But if I don't have love, I have nothing. Mm. In other words, the, the other attributes of God, including his other ontological aspects of him, are grounded in his love. Which is why a huge thing that we're pushing here at Eden Project is that we believe that the hermeneutical key that unlocks all of reality, not just the key to biblical interpretation, but the key to all of reality, is God is love. That is the hermeneutical key. Now, what's interesting, Jeff, is that if you look at any popular systematic theology, you'll see love mentioned, but a lot of times it's mentioned among other attributes of God as part of his moral character. Mm. But it's rarely mentioned ontologically. And guess how most of the systematic theology start? God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is, those are Greek categories, right? Yep. And yet the Hebrew scriptures are unpacking a narrative, a relational story formed narrative. Yes. That is presenting for us a being who at his center is chesed, covenant, faithful love, right? Yes. And I'm like, man, we have got to recover that. We've got to recover it. Hmm. Because, I, you know, I don't say this lightly. I really don't. I mean, I, I'm typically a guy who measures words, and so I don't say this lightly, but I think the fact that love has been relegated down to a subcategory of moral attributes of God's character is demonic. Mm. Mm. Because you end up wow. you end up majoring on other things and you have knowledge without love. And I'm like, okay. Mm. <laughs> so we're we're working on it, man. We're working wow. on it. Well, man, it's one of the reasons I'm so excited about the work you guys are doing and what I really believe it's going to do for the church as we press in more and more. And you guys aren't alone, but you're definitely one of those uh, unique voices that I'm thankful is is spending a lot of time on this topic. It is essential. It is ontological. I mean, it, Jesus says that's how they're going to they're even going to know where his disciples right. by our love. You know, John says we can't say we know God who is love if we don't have love. That's right. <laughs> uh, I mean, everything you're saying, the goal of our instruction, Paul, to Timothy is love. You know, yeah, let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. Oh, man. Love is the fulfillment of the, the law. law. I mean, not to mention Jesus said, love the Lord your God. Like this is the thing that is the hinge point of the entire thing, right? Yes. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commands. Love the Lord your God. Oh, man. I mean, and what's funny, man, is when you start to look at it this way, it's super obvious. I mean, it's not like we're telling anybody anything new. <laughs> no. But I think that that's the thing that I've been hopeful about is I think the Lord is doing something where he's waking people up and opening new doors that maybe they haven't walked through to go, no, I think I really want to emphasize this because I think it's central to the mission and the work of Jesus, both in his church and then through her to the world. Well, even as you mentioned the mission of Jesus, like Janie and I have some some friends that are, I'd say they're coming to faith in Jesus, yeah. but the the pathway toward it, uh, they started very pluralistic, uh, very typical Northwestern in terms of like, like all, all if there is religion, all religions must be equal yeah, and all that stuff. And so I just asked the question, well, if there is a God, 
because they were at that point still, I would say, fairly agnostic about the idea. If there is a God, what do you think that God is like? Mm. And you know what you know what they said? That God must be love. Mm. I said, bingo. Yep. Let's build off that. Yeah. Which for sure. then you ask the le- question, what is love? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Oh, and it was just like it was just so such an easy conversation because it's yeah. it's written on the heart of every image bearer sure. ultimately. It's their longing and hope. So yeah, we we are loving creatures. I mean, that's you get into uh, attachment theory, yep, which is critical for understanding. You know, some of the things that we're working on. And I mean, another word for secure attachment is love. That's right. I'm seen. I'm valued. I'm I'm powerful. I have agency. I'm loved. Right. And we you see it in children all the time. Right. I mean, the children who are securely attached. They're creative. They go explore. They go there. They flourish. They do. And you're like, oh yeah, that's what love is. It produces things like this, that's right. which is why I have a section of my dissertation where I, I talk about creation because the doctrine of creation is so critical around this. Because mo- most of the time in, in our Western thought, we think of, we're always talking about creation ex nihilo, right? Out of nothing, the Latin phrase out of nothing. But uh, I can't remember who said it, but there's a guy who pushed forward. He was like, actually, I think that instead of emphasizing creation ex nihilo, we need to start emphasizing creation ex amore, right? Mm. God created out of love. Yes. Because love is creative. Love creates. That's, that's what right. it does. It's, yeah. So there's, there's a lot we can't go on. Oh, that's beautiful, man. That, but yeah, that's what we're trying to do here at Eden Project is not oh. only... Not only introduce this topic in a, maybe a new and fresh way. One of the things we say is we want to we want to tell ancient stories with a fresh, authentic voice. You know, and uh, so again, we're not saying anything new. We're not experts in discovering this new thing. We're really just trying to recapture it for people because we think it may have been lost in some way. Mm. Well, part of your thesis addressed the spiritual formation in us as healing a God image. That's right. Yeah, I mean, that's part of what we're talking about. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I'll give you a a brief deal. So basically what I did was, one, when when I had that 2014 experience with Betsy Barber, shout out to Betsy there at Biola. But uh, when Betsy did that, I was like, what just happened to me? I mean, I literally was like, what kind of Yoda, weird ninja jiu-jitsu stuff did you just do to me? (laughs) And so she recommended that I read a book called The Birth of the Living God. Hmm. And I I don't recommend that everybody go get that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it took me years to like actually figure out what that book was talking about. But basically, it's a psychoanalytic study for how people form and then what the life cycle is of any person's given representation of God. So in other words, like very quickly, we live in a world of objects, right? I mean, I'm looking at you, you're in your office, you got books around you. I'm in a podcast studio. I got a table here, Mike, all, all this stuff. Like, And so we ourselves are objects, but then the way that we represent real objects in our minds is not the object. So like I'm looking at you through a computer screen. I, I believe that you're real. I believe that Jeff Vanderstelt actually exists, right? But the way I'm representing you right now is not actually Jeff Vanderstelt. Like, I'd have to get on a plane and fly to Seattle. And by the time I get there, you know, it's it's late and I need some food, whatever, you know. So, like, uh, and that's really critical to understanding, like, there is God actual. Like, he does actually exist. 
But the way that we represent him in our minds is not God. That's so critical. So some people might listen to that and be like, well, I guess I think I know what you're talking about. But in reality, in my experience in, in taking you know, a bunch of people through an, this assessment I developed is a lot of people, I would even argue the majority of people never make that distinction. It never dawns on them that the way they're representing God in their mind is not actually God. Hmm. Um, and they never critically examine it. And uh, the reality is, is that representation is deeply formed out of raw material from a formative environment that's really wounded in all of us. I don't care who you are, where you're from. It's just wounded, which means the lens that you're looking at God through is formed from raw material that's got a lot of baggage with it, which Mm. means it colors the way that you view God, which is why three out of every four people have some sort of insecure relationship with God. They view him as domineering. They view him as distant. They view him as critical. And when you start digging into their their family history, history, their formative experiences, their you know, really critical moments in their lives, you begin to see, oh, yeah, I could totally see how you view God as domineering because you had a domineering father. And then, you, you know, maybe you were an athlete and you had a domineering coach and you had like, well, if, yeah, of course, like the, the lens you're looking at everything through is domineering. And so in a lot of ways, what we're trying to do is to help leaders come to grips with their own story to raise some of these subconscious implicit things to the level of awareness so that we can deal with them. Mm. And we can go, I mean, I was, I was with someone this morning um, finishing up their assessment and it was super clear. I was like, Oh yeah, you totally relate to God like this because I had gone through this person's entire story with them. It was super obvious where that came from. And it definitely wasn't God. Yeah. Well, that's super transformative. Right. Cause you're like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, like now you have tools that you, you still have a choice, right? I mean, you can go yeah. back and double down on your coping mechanisms, but you you still have a choice. But now you have the capacity through the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to reshape a new narrative, one in which God is love. He's not domineering. He's not distant. He's not critical. He's inviting. He's good. He's trustworthy. He's present. He's not just present. He's like in you yeah he's in you he's in you more deeply than you are in yourself (laughs) and and the goal that we have is for people to deeply understand that and also celebrate it Mm. for them to go yes he is with me he is in me and that's a good thing right oh man amen Gosh. You get me going, Jeff. You get me I going. Know. Well, that's, that's why I wanted you on this, man. I want people to hear your heart and your passion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think everybody needs to have someone help them become aware yeah. of what what that image is that they have in their head. And yeah. with the help of the Spirit, get to see that redeemed to the true image of God as we see in Christ. So, yeah, I mean, you, you look at Romans 5 5, right? It's a great, the love yeah. of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Right? Yeah. Uh, John 17, the end of John 17, righteous father, though the world doesn't know you, I know you, and they know that you sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me. Now, Jesus is talking about the love the father has for the son. 
Yeah. What? That's yeah. crazy, man. Yeah. What? Like you, you can't even like know that. I, I don't even know. What do you do with that? But the love that the father has for the son may be in them. Yeah. And that I myself may be in them. Yeah. Oh, dude. It's incredible. That's why, that's why Paul in his prayer in Ephesians three for the church, his prayer for the church. So if like, if you're interviewing Paul right now, it's like, Paul, what do you think about the church? He's like, Oh dude, this is my prayer for the church that they being rooted and established in love would have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ and that they would know his love that surpasses their ability to know. (laughs) Yes. How do you you know something beyond knowing? And the answer Mm. is you experience it relationally. That's right. Like you have experiences with Janie that are beyond words. That's like, right. Good luck writing that down. Like you can write it down, but it doesn't do it justice. Same right. with me and my wife, same with our families. Like, and it's like, well, how do you communicate that then? And it's like, well, the best way to do it is like, you just have to experience it. Yeah. Like, and that's really where I think the Holy Spirit is working in a renewal type way to really wake the church up to the experience of the love of God. Because when mm. you're there, the only thing that transforms people is the love of God. Amen. Not not more information, not a new methodology, not a new tips and tricks, not a new, you know, five o'clock service, not a new Saturday service, not a, I mean, those are all really good things and they can be great vehicles for transformation, but the only thing that transforms the human heart is the love of God. Amen. And so yeah. we've got to get reoriented to that. We sure do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm excited because one of your coworkers, Chuck, Gaswin is going to be uh, with us next week and really even talking about how do we help people truly interact with the very real Mm. presence and love of God. I'm just, I mean, he's, we call call him Papa Chuck because he's like like a spiritual dad, man. He just walks in the room and you just want to hug him and and you want to be hugged by him, you know? Yes. uh, In a lot of ways, he's just, he's stewarding the love of Christ. He sure is. I love that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's my hope is that the church increasingly grows in that experiential knowledge so that it's not words that we give, but the true expression of love that we share to one another and to the world, man. It's so desperately needed right now. For sure. Yeah. Hey, I know you guys have several different things that you offer in terms of like Eden Resources, Eden Studio, Eden Lead. What what are those three initiatives? Yeah, uh, thanks for asking, man. Yeah, we're, we're really trying to solve uh, all the things that we've been talking about. We're trying to work to address them. Mm-hmm. So with Eden Resources, really what we're trying to do is while while we're trying to push people into a right brain emotional experience to wake them up to that reality that you're human, right? You, you have experiences and emotions about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, a key component of it is casting a new vision for how we see the world. And so there is left brain stuff involved here. I mean, it's a, it's really, it's not oh, we're going to leave the left brain behind to go focus on right brain. It's an integration of these things, right? And so Eden Resources uh, through books, through podcasts, through uh, seminars, um, through curriculum, stuff like that, that we're we're working really hard right now to produce those things. And so those will be coming out in the next year. We'll start to trickle out to people. And we're really just trying to, we're trying to push this conversation forward. And we're also trying to draw from people who've been doing this good work for a long time 
to get them broader exposure for uh, some of the work that they've been doing. So that's Eden Resources. Eden Lead, which is where your boys are hanging out, <clears throat> Duke yeah. and Chuck, is all about leader health. So it's all about getting these pastors, lay, elders, lay leaders into cohorts, into a relational environment where they can begin to explore the knowledge of God, the knowledge of self, learn rhythms and practices that sustain, that are the means of grace that God has given us to remain, uh, as Dallas Willard said, constantly at home in the fellowship of the Father, right? Mm. And so that's eat and lead. Um, we're going to be doing some retreats and seminars and stuff like that, but that will be cohort-based. And Young Pray For Us, we're launching our beta cohorts this fall. And um, those guys and, and myself, are, we're trying to stay malleable in the hands of the Spirit to not recreate something that somebody's already el- somebody else is already doing really well, but to, yeah, just follow in the way of what Jesus is calling us to do. And then lastly, with Eden Studios, y'all can pray for this big time. We're, I heard a talk recently, I can't remember the guy's name, so forgive me, but he talked about technologies of the heart. And technologies of the heart is like art, and it's various experiences that wake us up to deeper reality. And in a lot of ways, in order to deliver the good news of the gospel, you have to tell stories. I mean, we're storied creatures. You have to tell stories in a counter narrative kind of way because people, a lot of people live in bad stories. And so to restory them, you have to, you have to tell a better one. And like Bobette Buster said, the one who tells the best story wins, you know, and, and the great thing is, is we have the best story. Like, Amen. We do. Like so, we've got that, and and so what we're doing is we're working right now with a producer and a studio in Hollywood to try to produce a a season, a, a long form storytelling multi you know season series on the life of King David mm. as an exemplar of someone who was a gnarly dude, but he knew how to be relationally present with God. And so uh, we're really, at the end of the day, we're trying to tell the story of David's interior life. In other words, the story of the Davidic Psalms using First and Second Samuel as a backdrop. And so we want to show people like, we want to show it to them in a way where they're like, whoa, God is way cooler than I thought he was. I'll never, I'll never read those the same again. And whatever David has with Yahweh, I want that. Right. Oh man. So that's what we're trying to do, man. I can't wait. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> what a great, what a great project. We will be praying. If you're listed, please be praying for Nathan and Duke and Chuck and their whole team as they are launching the Eden project and all these initiatives that are going to serve the church. Many of you need to tap into this as more and more is going to be made available. Nathan, if people want more information or wanted to reach out, what, what would you recommend? Is there a place they can go or do we need to just wait? Or Yeah, man, I really appreciate you asking. If you guys are interested and you want to track with us, probably the best thing to do because we're in build mode right now, just shoot us an email. Shoot us an email at info at edenteam.org. That's info at edenteam.org. And that way we monitor that email address and we can not only communicate with you, but add you to the list that when we do have a much broader launch, then you'll be in the know on that. So yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, you're letting us get that out there. 
Yeah, definitely. And also, if, if you want more information, hello at cetraattheworld.com is also another great place to get information. And we are going to be tracking with the Eden Project. I mean, we are strategically partnered with them, supporting the work, excited to see how we can work together in the in the coming days. And then even the family of churches that I belong to, Soma, is seeing this work as a key part of how we want all of our leaders to get healthy and uh, grow more and more in the love of God, feeling at home with God once again. So um, if, if you need any, either way, reach out, don't, don't stay alone and, and we'll keep you informed as well as more things come your way. Nathan, uh, I'm really thankful that you gave us this time and really grateful to God that he's given you this this work to do. It's a much needed work. So I just want to thank you so much for your time. Bro, it's my privilege, man. I'm, I'm grateful to be chatting with you. And anytime I can nerd out with a brother and <laughs> talk about the love of God, then I'm, I'm game, man. And I feel like I just got blessed. So I was, I was getting all hyped up on it. So thank you <laughs> nice. for, for the good news. I love it. For all those who are listening, uh, if you want more resources, more opportunities to learn and grow, we offer for all of our listeners a two-week free membership trial uh, with uh, Saturate. You can just go to saturatetheworld.com and uh, click on membership. And then this is the key. There's a coupon code, all lowercase, podcast2022, podcast2022, all lowercase letters, no spaces. And that gives you unlimited access to everything we've got. We're just here to try and serve you as much as possible with videos, studies, curriculum, courses, eBooks, and hopefully someday we're going to get to feature a bunch of Eden stuff because I'm just pumped about what you guys are going to produce. So thank you again, Nathan, for all you're doing. Thank you, brother.